the Film Guide with Max Hartington, part of the St Albans podcast with Danny Smith. Welcome along to another edition of the St Albans Film Guide, uh, this time round with, uh, with your friend and mine, Max Hartington in the hot seat. Hello, Max. Hello, Danny. Good to be back again. So uh, what we're going to do uh, for those uh, who uh, perhaps are new to the, the, the show or even if you're not and you're just curious how we're going to do this today. Well, what we're going to do is we're going to look at Max's choice of films on free to air TV for the forthcoming week. We will also look at uh, another uh, of Max's action film choices. I haven't got the jingle because we're not doing this in the studio this week. Um, apparently, that's the trendy thing now with podcasts. People do it from like different corners of the world. We're doing it from different corners of St Albans, but we're, we're but you know, nonetheless, it's a start. We're almost an international podcast. Yeah, for yeah, a local, for a local area, but you know. Yeah, yeah, no, no, that's uh, that 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 works, Max. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, so so uh, we have those parts. But first of all, we look at uh, Max. Uh, we look at the new releases in the cinema, and uh, we're going to talk about um, a film that is also on general release at the moment as well. So, Max, uh, where are we starting? Of course, starting off releasing this Friday, the nineteenth of August, we have The Fisherman's Friends, One for All. This British comedy sequel to a 2019 film about a, a Cornish a Cornish sailors band uh, make, that make it big with a record signing. Uh, a year on, the film d- deals with the group navigating the pop culture landscape and how their more quaint living style clashes with the rock star lifestyle. This includes their dealing with modern politics, creating a second album and performing at Glastonbury. Yeah, so, um, I, I mean... <laughs> Crikey, we say this a lot, but if you like the first one, you'll probably love this one. Um, it, 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 it's one of those British films that is has a, its own sort of like comedic charm to it, and um, yeah, it, it's got these. The, these seem to re- these seem to release every single week that I'm on the podcast. We get one of these. <laughs> yeah, uh, but uh, I don't know quite how um, true to life th- this is in any way at all. Um, I mean that that. This is, of course, based on the, the real life uh, Cornish singing group, uh, the Fisherman's Friends, uh, and uh, and yeah, but 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 uh, it's not a documentary; it's a movie. It's there for enjoyment, and uh, and if you like the first one, I guess you'll love it. So if you like your, your sea shanties, this would be for you. You strike me as a big fan of Cornish sea, sea shanties. See, I'm from Devon. That's highly offensive. <laughs> I just started something political there. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, Devon and Cornwall. You know, two very very oh, different, man. distinct places um but uh but now i wish them all the best of course uh but that's uh that's new release that is out on friday the 19th of august um and and you know a couple other releases that are sort of knocking about at the moment we'll, we'll come back max to the one that you've seen that's out that came out of course just, just recently but before we do uh let's just give an honorable mention to a film that's being re-released from friday the 19th of august of course. So coming out this Friday also, the re-release of Star Trek, the motion picture, the director's edition. When a massive alien spacecraft of enormous power destroys three powerful Klingon cruisers entering Federation space, Admiral James T. Kirk is ordered to take command of the USS Enterprise for the first time since her historic five-year mission. So just to point out, because the last time you were here, Max, you chose a film called Star Trek. It's not the same film because that was, I... <laughs> the, that was the 2009 J.J. Abrams uh, remake or reboot or whatever you want to call it. Of, so would of you Star say Trek. this is the, the first first Star Trek film? Yeah, this is the very, this is the 1979. Well, actually, this is the, first, the first first first, if you're counting first generation as well, isn't it? Next generation. It's the first, Max. It's the first one. Oh, it's the I'm first just, one they did. 1979. I'm just really trying to rile up the Trekkies who listen to this. Yeah, yeah. 43 years ago, this film came out. Uh, 1979. Wow. And this was the first movie following the TV series. So the William Shatner TV series from the from the 60s, which I think was something like 66 to 69, uh, or 67 to 69, something like that. Um, and, and then this was the feature-length 
movie spin-off from that. Um, and in a way, I, I find this quite fascinating because it um, was 10 years after the end of the TV series, but it was set, I think it's supposed to be maybe a year or two that has passed since the end of the TV series. Oh, oh so, so, so efforts were made to try to make them not look like they were 10 years older. And, and, and oh. I believe there was a lot of money spent on hair pieces and corsets um, to, to sort of like to pull them all into shape. And their uniforms that they wore were not exactly flattering. And apparently the, the, none of the cast were very happy. By the second movie, they had a complete change of wardrobe. Um, with, with that, you've made me want to go and watch it. So. Yeah. And the second movie came out, I think, three years after this one did, uh, but was set... 15 years later or something so they didn't have to then worry about trying to make them look younger because by the second movie about the right amount of time had passed from when the tv series ended uh, oh. but uh, but yeah and, and there was a director's edition of this as as they do with all movies don't they i, I was but, about to ask you actually about the what what changes the you know what differences does the director cut director's cut make to, to the person such as me who has not actually seen the original cut what can i expect from the director's cut so, um, yeah, so this is Star Trek. By the way, the, the, the actual, just in case people actually want to know, that the movie was called, when it came out, Star Trek The Motion Picture, and it was the first, oh. the first movie. And um, it was directed by Robert Wise, who directed some pretty big movies back in the day. I want to say he directed the original West Side Story. Uh, oh. But I, I feel like I also want to back that up with something, before, like, a, like an IMDb page, which is not loading. I do think... I do think that's really fascinating, the idea of in terms of where a director's career can take them, that you can go go on the one side, you've got the West Side Story, and the one side you've got like pretty much one of the, the most science fiction films you could ever do. He did, not only West Side Story, he also directed The Sound of Music. Oh. So- and, and a 70s um, sci-fi thriller called The Andromeda Strain. That was him oh. as well. Uh, and, I, and I yeah, read the he- book of The Andromeda Strain, actually. Oh, okay. Was it Michael yeah, Crichton? It was, yeah, or have I made that ago. up? Who wrote I want it? I to say it's Michael Crichton. Let, let me quickly. It was a long time ago. We're falling a, down rabbit holes here, aren't we? With, uh, with with this, but yeah, but so yeah. so he directed Star Trek: The Motion Picture. Some people rather cruelly called it Star Trek: The Slow Motion Picture because it was very very long and plodding. It was believed by some. Others thought it was an epic masterpiece. Oh. Like there's there's a shot early in the movie with um, Kirk getting onto a space shuttle and flying from the space dock in like earth's orbit to the enterprise and it's about five or six minutes of orchestral music and a really slow sweep past the enterprise extreme close-up of this huge ship and apparently in the cinema it was in 1979 it was breathtaking um whereas you watch it on television today and it's boring you think oh my goodness i'm just going to fast forward this bit but it was something sweeping and magnificent and cinematic and the film was a direct um, response to the success of Star Wars. So in the cinema in the 70s, you know, suddenly there was this phenomenon called Star Wars that came out in 1977. And then everyone's trying to cash in on Star yeah. Wars. So James Bond did it. They went and made Moonraker, which they weren't going to, but they set bits of that in space and gave, you know, did what they could there to uh, to, to, to sort of um, jump on that. And Paramount Pictures were developing a Star Trek TV series sequel of sorts with a new cast and suddenly thought no we're going to scrap that we're going to get back the original cast and we're going to put it up on the big screen and they had and and they'd already set a date for release when they hadn't started making the movie so suddenly there's huge pressure to quickly make a a movie uh and and yeah and i think it 
it yeah it got nominated for three Oscars. Um, it, it was it was considered quite quite the film at the time. It was all it got nominated for music, for special effects, and for the sets as well. Um, well, I suppose it makes sense in that, because my first thought is when you talk about the sound of music, I think about there's a lot of really interestingly built sets in there, aren't there? So I suppose that ties far more into uh, into the Star Trek world than you'd ever think. Yeah. So and 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 you were asking about what the difference is between the director's cut. So oh, Robert yeah. Wise came back to this movie in the early 2000s i think and they they made a director's cut which was released on dvd but it was when all the star trek movies were all remastered and released onto blu-ray the remastered blu-ray version was the original version not the director's edition ah. and it's only this year that they they've finished the director's edition so all the and, and the main difference was there were a lot of um improved effect shots and the big the the thing that they go after that is 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 you know wipes out all those Klingon cruisers that you mentioned there in your in the synopsis. Um, there's a whole thing where they go inside of it and it's huge and it's a little bit 2001: A Space Odyssey esque. You know, oh, yeah. there's this mysterious thing in space and it's massive and and that they fly inside of it and the effects in the original one it didn't really show much. Whereas a bit questionable, yeah. It's now that they they've come up with stuff that's magnificent, and also I think some of the footage they had on Earth of and of Starfleet Academy has been improved as well. So you see the San Francisco was it the Golden Gate Bridge, but you see like shuttles flying under it and and coming into land and things like that, which which just just add little touches to it. It won't um, quite be like George Lucas level of like you know we've reshot entire scenes and we've added twenty seven different aliens in this uh, this one scene in a bar. No, I, I think it's generally considered that the director's edition improves upon the original and and help. The plot was a little bit confusing, and I think it helps the plot a little bit as well. But but the director's edition itself isn't new because it's been around for nearly twenty years. It's just it's never been in four K. Um, uh, before and it's not been released in the cinema before so i was gonna say plus it's been a while since we've had a, a star trek on the big screen so it's about time to you know jump yeah up. yeah so and it's on locally it is on in some cinemas locally but uh, yeah. anyway that my my favorite thing i noticed when i was reading about it is that additional languages uh in the official cinema credits page mentioned that klingon uh, the film will have klingon subtitles as well so yeah and really geeky here but the guy who created the klingon language in that movie was the guy who played scotty james Doohan. Mm-hmm. He, really? he basically came up with some work, some sounds, some fr- like like made some guttural noises and said that you know like <laughs> a bit like he was go. clearing his throat. Yeah, and then for the second movie, they needed more. Cl- I think the second or the third movie, they needed more Klingon, and they actually got a linguist to base what what they came up with in the first one and create a language. And and now you can actually buy like language tapes to learn Klingon. Can you imagine? Well, there yeah. are entire dictionaries, aren't there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the, the, somebody's converted the complete works of Shakespeare into Klingon, because you know. You're kidding me. Yeah, because you know what? What else is that poor bloke going to do? He's only going to be sat in his mum's basement, isn't he? So he might as well do something. <laughs> anyway. Plenty of time. Yeah, but anyway, Star Trek: The Motion Picture, the 4K director's edition, is out in cinemas as well. Now, Max, there is another film out at the moment called Bullet Train that you happen to be familiar with. There is, and it feels like it feels like I must have been, uh, in terms of perfect timing of watching this film. This this film was made for me, to be honest. Like of all the people that you, that you could have had to go and see this one, probably a good chance they went to see it. So I'll give you a bit of a summary. Uh, bullet train. Uh, Brad Pitt stars as the assassin Ladybug as five assassins board a fast-moving bullet train in Japan and find out their missions have something in common. I will give you that's the very sort of a basic uh, synopsis. Uh, as you can imagine, these five assassins, all very colourful, very, colourful, very stylish, all start butting heads and have very um, Guy Ritchie-esque dialogues sort of arguing with each other about uh, what is going on with this train. Um, it's just, 
it's just a real pleasure to watch really i was a bit um when the film was first coming out i i had been tracking it for a while just because i thought it, was, it has some actors that i'm really big fans of and i, I like the concept um but initial reviews sort of seemed to slate it a little bit and said that it's uh it wasn't quite they, they didn't think the film was intelligent as intelligent as it was trying to be um and having been one of the people the film was probably aimed at uh ignore the reviews it's a lot of fun so it's, so uh, it's what, really what was it about the movie that that was exciting you then you said about one or two of the cast members who was who were you thinking oh, i'm oh, looking forward to seeing them so in terms of the main cast, so Brad Pitt in particular is a, is a whole... I mentioned last time I was on here about Inglorious Bastards and how I really enjoyed Brad Pitt's role in there. But along with that, you've got Aaron Taylor-Johnson, you've got Brian Tyree Henry, who is an actor who I'm I, in recent years, uh, he was on the TV show Atlanta, directed by Donald Glover. He was in Marvel's The Eternals, one of the, the most recent ones. But he has a really fantastic role in this. You've got um, uh, Michael Shannon, uh, Sandra Bullock, uh, a few cameos that I won't spoil, but the film is very sort of cameo heavy. But... Uh, yeah, going into it, I was very impressed by the actors, but the dialogue itself is very snappy, but the editing is probably what, what does it the best. The whole thing is very... Um, uh, so it's actually part directed by one of the unnamed directors of uh, John Wick and Deadpool 2 and uh, Atomic Blonde recently. Uh, Who's that? His name escapes me, of course. David Leach. <laughs> David Leach, yes. Okay. Uh, David Leach is the director of the film so as you can imagine it's got a very stylish sort of every time a new character is introduced um they're introduced with this big sort of neon sign next to them and they've all got these like cool assassin names and everything okay now um those who are listening to howard linsky on the 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 film guide a couple of weeks ago will know this because uh this was mentioned by howard when when uh when this film was released which was yeah during his show a couple of weeks back but david yeah. leach and brad pitt have a long working relationship because david leach used to be brad pitt's stunt double Oh, I did not know that. So they've worked together on on uh, he he doubled Brad Pitt on four films: Fight Club, Ocean's Eleven, Troy, and Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Imagine being a stunt double for Fight Club. That must have been painful. Yeah, and then also apparently uh, Brad Pitt made a cameo in David Leach's um, second directorial film, Deadpool Two. Deadpool Two, yeah. Brad Pitt makes a little cameo in there, so it seems like they're doing each other favors with this one. Yeah, yeah. But uh, absolutely, um, just really sort of snappy. Um, it makes the most of the whole setting of the bullet train and it just sort of the action just ramps up every single part. It starts off very sort of quippy and then everyone just starts throwing punches, explosions and then all sorts. Okay, that's uh, that's yeah. bullet train, which is which is out on general release. And uh, Max gives it gives it at least two thumbs up. He'd probably give Definitely. it a third thumb if he had one. Time now to take a look at another classic uh, action movie in a feature that we call Max's Action Films because Max likes to take his action films to the... The Max. Yeah, we don't have the effects thing when we're not in the studio. So, uh, yeah, there you go. There's a nice little bump on the audio track that shows that that at least went through. So we'll see how that actually sounds in the edit. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, Max is referring to the, the, uh, the, the, the waveform that he and I can see that no listener can see nor care about. But nonetheless, yeah. Nice I'm hoping reference. somebody's heard that. You know, the effort was put in. I, I care much about the how you know about how this comes across. It's it's my baby, my action film baby. So, uh, what is the action film for Max's action films this time around? We've time travelled back a little bit. We had sort of '80s vibes before, and now we're just going for pure '80s films. I so originally this this started with me thinking about what action film sequel should I put into the 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 action you know film club next there was a big debate i'm sure you can imagine what what this came to in the end so there's two two sequels to previous horror thriller films that came out as action films and there was a there was a strong debate between terminator or alien 
were the two that I came up against. And uh, you can figure out which one I went for. This film, uh, this the, this this week's film is Aliens, uh, nineteen eighty six. And what connects those action films, Max, that you just mentioned? Well, none other than the great uh, director James Cameron. Yeah, so James Cameron, who who has the 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 honour of directing not one but arguably two of the greatest sequels uh, to classic movies of all time, Aliens and Terminator Two. And I, I brought them up against each other, and I put them into a fight. And I thought about long and hard about it, but I decided that for me, uh, Aliens was going to be the one that I put forward first. Okay. Uh, so, t- so tell us about Aliens. Of course. So, uh, of course, Alien is the original sort of sci-fi horror where Ellen Ripley uh, on on a spaceship gets chased around by a big, awful uh, creature known as Xenomorph. Uh, this sequel, Aliens, takes place fifty-seven years after her surviving this attack. Uh, Ripley's woken up. And she's made uh, part of a team that's going to explore a new colony where they believe there might have been another infestation. Yes, yes. So, so she's sort of frozen, isn't she? And then, yeah, yeah woken up and all that time's passed. Um, uh, where, and, yeah, the first one is very much like a horror. Like, it's it kind of ends up being just her on this big lonely spaceship and and, and, yeah. and this alien hunting her down to kill her. And, and whereas that's the first one this one is like her and the marines going to kick some butt yeah. as soon as they introduce the, the the marines in this one you know what sort of film it's going to be i mean i, I love the marines they are just they're, they're the most like gung-ho sort of meathead crew you could ever have they're all you know fist fights and love throwing it up in the ship when they first wake up which is so different from i think you know aliens has the this group of miners they're all a bit sort of um they're all, all a bit downtrodden versus the sort of hurrah we get in this one yeah, um, yeah. And Bill, Bill Paxton's character is just you know something else. I, I heard a great uh, description of the, the original movie Alien, where where somebody uh, wrote uh, like a t- two sentence synopsis that said, you know, it was about um, a woman and her cat. No one listened to the woman with the cat, and they all died. The woman and the cat lived, <laughs> and that pretty much carries on in this one, doesn't it? No, not quite. I mean, they don't all die in this one. It's uh... well, there's no there's no cat in this one. There, there's you know. Yeah, the, the cat's replaced with a little girl who they try and save. But yeah. uh, really, I mean, this I just love this film. It's really, I mean, the set design, like the way everything looks, like it's sort of. I think it's it builds so well upon the world of the first one, and then even if it does this, even makes it a bit over the top when you've got the marines running around with all their uh, pulse rifles blowing things up, it's still very thought about. Yeah, and and yes, and and it, in, this is this is not a space horror like the first one. This this really is a space action thriller. And yeah. I think that's part of the beauty as well is that they they kind of subtly changed the genre going from yeah. one to two, and um, and yet you know made it an absolute masterpiece at, at the same time you know which was yeah. worthy of the first one which which in itself was a masterpiece exactly and of course it was uh, it was uh, Academy Award winning and Academy Award nominated uh, it won an award for best effects uh, best uh, best editing and best visual effects which as you as you can imagine watching the film and uh, Sigourney Weaver was nominated for this as well because I think it's again it really shows I think Ellen Ripley's character really has is forced to grow in this film and she just does a really amazing job of just being someone who is really fed up with this but also is a lot more capable than she was previously yeah and and it's not often you get a, a female protagonist uh, that that's as, as well sort of fleshed out as, as she is in this yeah. movie. You know, it, it's um, it, she, you know she she's iconic and 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 uh, yeah to have you know in in the mid eighties when all the um, uh, you know all the action movies all had men starring in them, it was nice to have have one with a female. Exactly, and yes, and Terminator Two. Yeah. And I didn't realise uh, until you just said it there, but yeah, she got nominated for Best Actress for the for the part. 
She did, um, which she should have been, yeah, because she does yeah. a fantastic job in this. And it, it looks like it was a lot of work on her half. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, she's really, really good. She, she, she had such a, such a, a nuanced, uh, uh, you know, sort of characterization to this character, to this character. Yeah, let's use yeah. that word a few times. But you know, she's really good in it. Is basically yeah. what I'm trying to say there. Earned her place in history for for such an excellent performance. Oh yeah, yeah, without doubt. Um, and uh, I, I don't know if you knew this, but uh, but she, um, yeah, so she wasn't nominated for the first film, uh, but but she got nominated for the second one. Uh, but she's never as yet won an Oscar, but she's been nominated three times. Uh, and uh, and in 1989, so two years later, she was nominated for both be- for both best actress and best supporting actress for two different movies in the same oh, well, year. We're back in your here, Sigourney. Yeah. Yeah, well, she didn't. So, Aliens, Alien Seven, whenever it comes out, will be. A... Oh dear, yeah. Well, that, <laughs> Considering yeah. where the franchise is at at the moment, but, you I know, know it's so... it's yeah. It, it, some would be quite, I guess, um, disappointed that it's gone the way it has. But nonetheless, this is back when it was good. So uh... hey, we'll, we'll always have Aliens. The Film Guide with Max Hartington, part of the Sonobus Podcast with Danny Smith. Let's take a look now at the uh, films that Max is recommending for us to watch on free-to-air TV for the forthcoming week. We start off with Friday the 19th of August, uh, film for 4.40pm. We have Jason and the Argonauts. In this classic retelling of the Greek legend, the legendary hero leads a team of intrepid adventurers in a perilous quest for the legendary Golden Fleece. Uh, this is just an absolute classic, really. Like I picked this film because I saw it uh, a lot as a child. I rewatched it when I was... Uh, a few years ago recently and it's just the special effects are just incredible in this i really recommend it alone if you are a fan of any sort of classic film or you like the sort of the look of you know it's just like hearing your ancient greek stories like i do this is just a really exciting story and it's so interesting seeing how special effects were used in the 60s there was a slew of these movies around the same time and uh the, there was um i think there was a sinbad movie and there was this and there's a few of them and then they were kind of almost like the end of this age of, of cinema making was probably the clash of the Titans movie from, from 1980 or 81, mm. uh, w- which really did pay homage to all these earlier movies from the sixties. But the thing that they all had in common were the wonderful effects from Ray Harryhausen, who did all of the, the, the special effects for these movies. And, and he in many ways was the star of these movies, even though you didn't see him and he wasn't the director, yeah. but it was his effects. So he animated the skeletons that they fought uh, and 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 it was all those things were all and and in a lot of those movies when you'd had these sort of big creatures that they were fighting it was all what he he pioneered a technique of called stop motion animation yes which which in a way is a bit like how they do Wallace and Gromit and things like that and uh, and yeah he did painstaking hours where you've got these little figures and you have to move them around like every single inch and then take yeah, a shot don't you yeah and and so he did yeah there was a couple of Sinbad movies and the Clash of the Titans and and apparently this movie was uh, was. Ray Harryhausen's favourite of all the ones that he made. He, he enjoyed this I, one I, the most. And I th- I, I'd back him for that because I think this just has some of the most... I think, obviously, the skeleton scene... I think everyone who has looked a little bit into cinema will, will have seen the scene with the skeletons. It's like it's a real historic sort of uh, use of the technique. I personally, uh, to this day, I was terrified when I saw this as a child of the, um, the Hydra because it's got all of these... You know, It's got the nine uh, bird heads and it's all snapping and everything. Yeah. And it just... It's really tense. Like even even you know, I rewatched it uh, recently to sort of get in get in the zone for recommending the film, and it's still very, um, you know, you feel you. It's I think it's the whole the stop motion's very otherworldly, and everything looks like it's very, very freaky. Yeah. 
this stuff is it, it, it's great. And and when you think about the skill that was involved with making movies back when they didn't have computers to rely on, uh, you know, to, to to make these sorts of effects, it just shows you yeah. how talented and creative these people were. Uh, so yeah, that, exactly. Yeah, so that's uh, that's Max's choice for uh, for the nineteenth of August. That is the film uh, Jason and the Argonauts, which is on uh, Film Four, four forty p.m. Let's move to uh, Saturday, the twentieth of August, uh, ten p.m. on Channel Four. We've already mentioned this film once in the in the uh, film guide this time round. It is Deadpool two. It's back again. Uh, in this sequel, the foul-mouthed mutant mercenary Wade Wilson, a.k.a. Deadpool, assembles a team of fellow mutant rogues to protect a young boy with supernatural abilities from the brutal time-travelling cyborg Cable. Uh, again, uh, you know, as, as we said earlier, we've had David Leitch's appear twice in this episode now. But uh, I, my, my, it was the exact reason that I thought I would drop in Deadpool 2 as well, because I, I think it's a way that I can trick people into going to see Bullet Train at the cinema. If you can watch Deadpool 2, you know that you like the editing style. Okay. Uh, yeah. So yeah. So uh, from the same director, that's Deadpool two. Uh, more yeah. wild. Was it wild? Ryan Reynolds, uh, cracking wise and uh, and doing what he does. It definitely feels like it's. Uh, this is the film where Ryan Reynolds has just sort of crossed the line. Where you don't really know where the character starts or ends, and Ryan Reynolds. Uh, you know, Ryan Reynolds. You don't know where the character starts and Ryan Reynolds ends anymore at this point. Like they've just sort of bled into being the same character like it is that whole thing of they say it's the role he was made to play and it does feel like he's he's very comfortable in this one but you've got a really great supporting cast uh marina baccarin returning uh albeit briefly <laughs> uh from uh, from the first film uh you've got uh josh brolin of course making a, another appearance as a marvel character because i think this was around the same time he was uh i think this was the same year that he turned up as thanos at avengers as well so he was clearly well, uh, and also i think back then th- these were franchises that were completely separate whereas now they're all owned by the same company and so yeah. um and I, I think it was confirmed in fact on a lot well it wasn't just confirmed here but chris mentioned last week on the the film guide that uh that Deadpool will be returning to the MCU now because it's all part of one big happy family. Oh, perfect! In that case, you've got an excuse to do your home. You know, do your homework and go and watch Deadpool two as well. If you're, you know, taking down the absolute uh, laundry list that is all of the Marvel stuff you need to watch now. Now, I'm going to say something that might you might almost consider blasphemous, but Ooh. I'm not a massive fan of Ryan Reynolds. I I really think a little goes a long way. And yet I also know how bad I would feel if I met him because I've seen him in interviews and he comes across as such a nice guy that I bet I'd feel awful for thinking that he largely throws in the same performance in all the movies I've ever seen of him. Imagine that. You you might go off to a Wrexham football game and you might see him there. Yeah, and he'd probably let me in for free. He'd probably, you know, he'd have a photo done and, you know, I'd feel awful. I'd feel awful. And then you'd say to him, "I I don't think you're that much, mate. Well, I, I didn't quite say that. But did you hear that? Did you hear that, Ryan? Danny is actually just sat here, just completely. <laughs> See, I, I don't think that's quite what I said, but I do. I mean, no. do you know, I saw um, Six Underground, which was just, it just felt, it was just like him trying a bit too hard for two hours, you know, uh, and it was just, you know, like a 40 odd minute car chase, which was just boring and. I, you know, I, I do. You know what? I, I, I somewhat agree with you. And that while I, I like Ryan Reynolds, but I do think we sort of reached a, a the rock uh, sort of. I might start calling it the rock singularity, where if you play enough roles where you're sort of paid to play yourself, eventually, you all of your characters do sort of bleed into one. And you know, I like Ryan Reynolds for Deadpool, but it does feel like uh, if you go and watch another film with Ryan Reynolds, you probably are just watching Deadpool light now. Yeah, and and I saw um, Red Notice not that long ago with the Rock and and Ryan Reynolds, and it was. It's just again. It was just like you know. Yeah, he's just a bit of a smart mouth, isn't he? And and 
and and I, I guess you one might find that charming one might find that annoying um and uh yeah I'm sure well, he's need, better what, than need... some of the parts he's got. And he's also, he's very dismissive of an awful lot of his earlier parts, isn't he? Yes, yeah, he really, he, he tries to get rid of as many of them as possible. I think Green Lantern's the big one, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And 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 so I, th- I wonder if sometimes he realises himself that perhaps uh, it could be better. And maybe that's no fault of his. Maybe that's, you know, uh, forces that are well outside of his control. It could just be, maybe, you don't, maybe it's not that you don't like Ryan Reynolds. Maybe you just don't like Ryan Reynolds' agent maybe that's what it is uh, anyway deadpool channel 4 10 p.m saturday the 20th of august let's move on to safer ground now because uh you you have landed on an actor that i i, I cannot find fault with uh in Perfect. any way at all uh, sunday the 21st of august film 4 9 p.m man on fire hard drinking burnt out ex-cia operative john creasy has given up on life until he's hired as a bodyguard to protect a nine-year-old bit by bit creasy begins to reclaim some of his soul but when the girl is when the nine-year-old girl is kidnapped he basically has to you know go on a complete uh rampage through mexico to get her back uh denzel washington of course stars as the ex-cia operative and i mean he's just brilliant in this role like this is this film definitely has um i think it's got a real edge to it, this one. But it's very... Denzel Washington just plays this character who has a lot of demons, but uh, is very good at taking them out on people. Yeah, yeah. And 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 I think this... Is this one of the first instances showing that Denzel Washington's got a harder side to him and, and can do, can do like, you know, quite sort of gruesome action as well as, you know, acting? Well, I want to say this is around the same time. I, I recommended Deja Vu previously, I can remember, and I think it's the same sort of... There's a very... This and I think Training Day must be around the same time, and Denzel's definitely proving that he's got this very gritty dark side. But he's... You know, he he does a really good job of being in this gritty dark side. Yeah, yeah. No, I think I think you're right. I think I think Training Day might have been just uh, a year or two before. Um, and uh, what was the other film you just mentioned? Deja Vu. Uh, Deja Vu, yes. Right. Yeah, yeah. Tra- which also tra- was, which um was actually so. Deja Vu actually came two years after, but it was direct. It's uh, Tony Scott who directed uh, Man on Fire, also directed Deja Vu. So yeah. at that point, they started to prove what, what they were capable of. Well, and also they worked together on four films in the end. Um, they directed four films, and also how does this connect to um other, another film that we might have mentioned earlier? Putting you on the spot now. Oh, you put me on the spot. Uh, let me just check. Uh, you know, rack do you know, my brain. Do you know who Tony oh. Scott was? Because he's sadly no longer with us. Oh, no, I did not. The brother of Ridley Scott, who made Alien. Ah, they were filmmakers, Brit- how- British filmmaking brothers, and uh, Ridley Scott, of course, with his fine body of work, and Tony Scott doesn't have a bad resume either. Top Gun was no. uh, was Tony Scott, and um, and yet yeah, um, he did four films with Denzel Washington. Oh, perfect. Well, you know, they they were a really powerful pairing. And I think this film, I'd say of their films they've done together, I'd personally choose this as my as the best of them. Okay. Well, that, that's a that's a bold statement, isn't it? That's a, that's a big recommendation. Yeah. Because um, what they also did, oh, Crimson Tide was another one they did together. Hmm. Um, Still doesn't beat it for me. No. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll you know, <laughs> obviously you're, you're, you're well entitled to that opinion. Um, but no, to, um, yeah, yeah. So th- I'm trying to find a list of their other movies that they did together, but um, but yeah, certainly uh, the, the Man on Fire is a great one. And also, I kind of I thought Dakota Fanning playing the little girl in the movie was particularly good and had a great yeah. uh, chemistry with Denzel Washington. Yeah, definitely. I think I, I think especially g- given the whole 
the fact this film is, is in a very gritty world, you want to make sure that you've got the character that sort of brings out the human side of Denzel's character needs to be able to sort of match with him. And I think she does a really good job. Like it's that whole, it's not too overbearing. It's not, it, it doesn't suffer the curse of child actors of you being, well, just hurry up and get a kidnapped already. I don't want to see any of those scenes. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a real treat to see them together. Hurry up and get a kidnapped already. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> I'm not sure if your new profession's ready for you, Max, but anyway. Yeah, uh, yeah. for anyone out there clipping uh, clipping my podcast, please. <laughs> yeah, yes. Uh, Take it easy so, on me. So do you want to you you hear um, some of the other movies that, that Tony Scott has done? Because this is an impressive well, let's get list. The list. Um, so including uh, Top Gun, uh, Beverly Hills Cop 2, uh, Days of Thunder, True Romance, Crimson Tide, uh, Enemy of the State, Spy Game, Man on Fire, uh, Deja Vu, The Taking of Pelham 123, and Unstoppable. Ah, brilliant. Wow. What a, what a selection. Yeah. And and also quite a few of those in collaboration with Denzel Washington, no less. But yeah. uh, anyway, that was um, Max's choice for Sunday, Man on Fire, 21st of uh, August, film for 9pm. Now, bit of a change of uh, pace here. Monday, the 22nd of uh, of August, 9pm on Talking Pictures TV. That means it's old. It's Kez. It's a very old one. Uh, bullied at school and ignored and abused at home by his indifferent Yeah, but you're away from brother. that now, Max. So don't... Oh, you didn't mean you. Sorry. <laughs> a young 15-year-old working class boy in Yorkshire tames and trains his pet kestrel falcon, who he names Kez. Uh, helped and encouraged by his English teacher, Mr. Farthing, and his fellow students, Billy tries to find a positive purpose to his unhappy existence until tragedy strikes. Um, this is pretty much, I think, of all the films I've recommended, this might be the, the saddest and grimmest one out there. It is, uh, it's probably the greyest film that I've ever put on this list. But um, I think it's it's definitely something that is worth watching. Uh, you, you, it is tough to watch. Uh, you, you might you know tear up a few times, but I promise you, it is a good journey at least. I think as well, a lot of um, a lot of people of a certain age will remember this because they probably had to read it at school. This was yes. uh, this was a book that, that well, it was based on a book that they probably would have had to have read at school, and uh, yeah, and would probably remember the film because they thought I can't be bothered to to read it; I'll just watch it. Um, but but yeah, a classic movie from from fifty three years ago, um, which will it's make some people imagine, very it. old. But yes, Kez. It, it is a very sort of, it feels like a very sort of um, cultural piece, I think. I think, the, you know, the way it depicts sort of the landscapes of Yorkshire and, and the, obviously the houses and the mines themselves. Yeah, and, and probably come as no surprise to anyone that it's uh, it was made by Ken Loach, who, who, who kind of, you know, has been known for making bleak movies. But, but there is an element of hope in this one. It's not quite as bleak as some of his work. Yeah, I, I think the scene, I think especially like, I don't know if I can say much about acting Falcons, but I think <laughs> I think the relationship between um, between Billy and Kez, uh, Billy the boy and Kez, yeah. is really sort of uh, powerful. But I think the real strength of this is this film is uh, any time the family get together, like any time we get these scenes in the living room, for better or worse, uh, whether they're going to be lighthearted or not. It's really um, all of the actors do a really fantastic job. It does feel like the camera's just been dropped in a <laughs> a very uh, very tense household. Okay. That's uh, uh, Max's offering for Monday, the 22nd of August. Uh, we have on Talking Pictures TV, 9pm, the film Kez. Let's move to Tuesday, the 23rd of August, ICV4, 9pm. Changing again, um, back to perhaps uh, more familiar territory for Max. It is the 80s uh, Bloodfest, First Blood. 
Don't worry, we're back on schedule. Uh, John Rambo was a former United States Special Forces soldier who fought in Vietnam, won the Medal of Honor, but this time his time in Vietnam still haunts him. As he makes his way through a uh, a small uh, town in Washington, he's uh, sort of he runs a, uh, runs afoul of the local sheriff and begins to cause trouble with the uh, some of the locals. Ah, uh, <laughs> this is just complete fantastic, like uh, like action film here, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, this was the birth of 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 one of Stallone's most iconic characters, uh, um, and uh, yeah, it's um, it is quite the uh, you know, the, well, it, it shows the origin of, of of this 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 character and the birth it, of Rambo. Yeah, yeah, uh, but this is also quite a um, uh, th- th- this this is I, I don't know you know th- th- quite a different film really from the other ones I think. Yeah. I think it definitely is. So even though, you know, I, I want to say this is, you know, big action and explosions. We've got John Rambo, who's the, the you know, the Vietnam War vet, and he's like tearing his way for a town. It's, it deals with the fact that he is obviously, he's, I think it deals with PTSD is a really big thing. Like he's, he's a man who's clearly been traumatized by his time in the war. And then he gets home and the war isn't really over because he just sort of finds other people who, you know, try and just mistreat him and run him out of town. And his responses to you know go straight back to uh, Vietnam means uh, there are some particularly gruesome looking traps in this film if you've seen it that still make me wince thinking about it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yes, I think you, you, you're spot on, aren't you? That that this is probably a very early depiction of of the horrors of PTSD, and um, yeah, yeah. The, and and also, I think the one of the big problems that 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 people had with the vietnam war and the veterans were that this was a war that that the americans sort of turned their back on they kind of you know and the soldiers that that fought and represented and died for their country they came back to america and they were treated terribly in some instances and 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 they were almost treated like villains you know and it wasn't their fault they didn't choose to go to war they did as they were told they served their country and the fact their country decided then that this was no longer the right thing to do and withdrew from it it yeah. wasn't their fault you know either and 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 yes the you know the the, the you know rambo is very much a victim in this movie and and, and he's treated yeah. horribly and and he snaps and um, yeah, but now I read a I read an interesting article recently about Rambo, um, and I'm curious to know if you can. Um, well, so you know these films are sort of notorious for how violent they are, aren't they? Yes, yeah, they were would a bit you controversial, like to, weren't they? Would you like to estimate the body count of the first Rambo film of of First Blood? Ooh, yeah. it's been a while. I'm going to say, I think upwards of. Taking into account, you know, who in the police station, I want to say it's upwards of 30. Okay. Uh, Right. So I'm trying to think. So you're wrong by 29. By 29? The body count is one. Only one person gets killed in First Blood. Is it really? Yeah. It's been quite a while since I've seen First Blood then. Yeah. uh, According according to the article I was reading, one person. They make up for it though, because in the second one, 69 people die. Um, (laughs) Yeah. And that, um, that's what I was thinking of. I was I was jumping ahead to Rambo too. I wasn't thinking about the Rambo. Yeah, and then in the third one, 132 people, and then in the fourth one, 236 people. They really saw it as a challenge at a certain point, didn't they? Yeah, and I believe that the this article doesn't cover the last one, but I've got a feeling that the um, the Would final one, the most recent Rambo that, that came out a few years ago. Uh, yes, yes, Last Blood. I think had yeah. Uh, uh, 
Hang on, I've just, I've just, I've just done a quick Google search to see if I can find out. Is it just, is it just loading up the kill count now because it's at least got seven yeah. digits in it? Oh no, no, it's not as big. No, it's only forty-seven. Oh, um, but yeah, well, you, you know what? That's still, that's still more. Also, I think the first film isn't as violent as people may think it is because it's probably overshadowed by how violent the other ones are. Um, yeah, but also interesting um, casting choices because Stallone, as is often the case with a lot of movies, the actor that ends up starring in these things isn't necessarily the first choice of the producers. And uh, yeah. at one point, apparently, Dustin Hoffman was seriously considered for playing the part of Rambo. Really? Uh, which would have that made would it so very interesting to see different I kind think... of movie. Because Rambo wouldn't probably wouldn't be as remembered. It sounds odd to say he wouldn't be as remembered. I, he may not be remembered in the same way if it was Dustin Hoffman, would it? I think if you see Dustin Hoffman on a poster, you assume you're probably going for something that's maybe a bit more sort of cerebral, a bit, a bit more like reflective. You think of The Graduate, you think of something similar. Versus if you put Stallone on a poster, I mean, you know, he's he's absolutely shredded, isn't he? So you, you assume you're going to see a man. And I think all the posters do show him walking around with his uh, big machine gun as well, don't they? Yes, yes, in the, yeah, the first, the first one, he, he has a, he has a, he has a vest on in the first one, you know, uh, but, but yeah, you, you, you can see his big old guns on display and he's, he's wielding a, a gun that I'm pretty sure a man can't really fire, um, because it'd just be too big and it's supposed to be mounted on the back of a tank. A bit or more something. like a two man job gun, yeah. Yeah, but, uh, but yeah, but a very interesting, uh, movie and, and yeah, um, quite tragic in many ways. But, uh, but anyway, that's, uh, first so word. Yeah, in a way, still still tying onto the uh, the, the Kez or the uh, thematic thing. If we can pretend there's sort of a theme in the way I pick these films, or not that just I see that they're on and I like them. Yeah, don't bother trying to do that, Max, because like it doesn't matter, does it? The, you know, hopefully people are just hoping you're choosing films you like because then th- there's a chance they might like them. You know, exactly. don't don't try and be too arty farty. Anyway. Let's move on to Wednesday, the 24th of August, uh, BBC Three at 10.20pm, Point Break. A bank, uh, in Los Angeles, California, a gang of bank robbers call themselves the ex-presidents. Uh, the FBI believes that the members of the gang could be surfers and they send young agent Johnny Utah, played by none other than Keanu Reeves, <laughs> undercover at the beach to mix in with the surfers and gather information. Utah meets, Utah meets the surfer body, uh, but played by Patrick Swayze, of course, and gets drawn into the lifestyle of his new friend and can't, and struggles with uh, his double life. Oh, what a film, honestly. I know, I know every single time that comes up, but this is just... Um, Point Break is just such a ride. Uh, I think uh, it's Keanu Reeves is very, very you know, very good in this one. But Patrick Swayze, you know, you watch this film for Patrick Swayze, don't you? Yes, I mean, he, he you know, it was a, it was a great film, pretty much at the pinnacle of his career. You know, having uh, done films, you know, Dirty Dancing and Ghosts, which kind of you know appeals to one type of audience. But then, or, you know, he also did this, and he did um, Roadhouse. Oh, Roadhouse. <laughs> Which appeals yes. to a completely different type of audience. Funny uh, enough, Point Break and Roadhouse. So I, I'm in that camp. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, who could have imagined that? Yeah, we, we, we'd have evenings watching those kind of movies, not the other ones. Um, but but yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's 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 um, you know it, it's great that um, that that you know this movie was was sort of there in the 90s. It, it kind of encapsulated the best of that kind of era. And and the director as well was quite interesting um, because there weren't that many female directors around at the time. Not that there's an awful lot now, but, uh, but you know, to, to, to have a big sort of very adrenaline-fueled action movie uh, directed by uh, a female director was quite an achievement in itself. 
I think Catherine Bigelow is known for that because I mean she did the Hurt Locker as well, which I remember got a lot of praise for how it presented the sort of the tensity of you know being out in the war in the, in the Middle East. But uh, yeah, and Zero I, Dark Thirty. Really, yeah, she really uh, is. She is able to make these sort of tense thrillers, which again is it's really nice to see. Yeah, 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 yes. You know, with both of those films and uh, K nineteen, The Widowmaker, which is a very another sort of tense, dramatic film as well, with Liam Neeson and Harrison Ford set on a submarine, no less. Um, uh, oh. So, and and also connected to uh, one of your earlier movies, putting you on the spot here. Go on then. Oh, is it that oh, Catherine Bigelow and James Cameron? Is it? Yeah, they used to be married. That's the that's the connection. You know what? I was thinking that, but I didn't want to commit to saying they were married. I, I wanted to say that they had some sort of connection. Yeah, yeah, they were married. Um, uh, I, but... You know, I remember now because there was the whole. Con- a lot of people were saying there was the controversy about uh, zero. Uh, uh, the Hurt Locker was winning more awards over Avatar, so maybe they were just. Uh, maybe it was a bit sour about that. Yes, because I think they were up at the same time um, and had been divorced for quite some time by then. And yeah, Avatar was the, the the big money making film, but the yeah the other film was the, the very much the critically acclaimed one. Yes, but uh, but anyway, there you go. That's uh, yeah, another fine choice from Max. There, that's Point Break, BBC Three, ten twenty p.m. on Wednesday, the twenty fourth of August. Final film rounding off the list uh, for another edition of the Film Guide. We have on Thursday, the twenty fifth of August, nine p.m. on Great Movies. So they better be. Uh, it is Baby Driver. It's definitely a great movie. Uh, Baby Driver tells the story of a, a partially deaf uh, escape driver who basically takes a ga- uh, who basically um, Baby Driver stars uh, Antler Elgore as Baby, a partially deaf a partially deaf escape driver who pretty much uh, picks up criminals from heists and drives them out in the most fashionable and stylish ways as possible. Uh, this film in particular, I'm dropping in because uh, Edgar Wright. I'm a big fan of his work, as you would have found out last time. If you listen, because I got to drop in uh, Scott Pilgrim versus the world, uh, this carries across here. Uh, this was, I think, one of his mostly like well-regarded films in terms of it got a lot of uh, there was a lot of buzz about it. And it was nominated for a few Oscars for its uh, sound and editing as well. Um, this is just a really fun one, uh, really stylish film. Uh, you, you can't watch this and not enjoy some of the soundtracks and the way it's so it's so perfectly um, tied into you know the scene is tied to the music that Baby's listening to. It's that whole sort of diegetic versus non-diegetic thing. Well, the music is very much a character in the movie, isn't it? And and every single song has been hand hand picked by the writer director, and and works perfectly, and 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 is yeah is the perfect accompaniment to what's going on, and it works so well, and you you cannot quite appreciate that until you see it just how much the music is a character in the movie. Um, Definitely. And- and also a wonderful cast that so one person will gloss over, but you've got others in there, including Lily <laughs> James, uh, you know, famous of late for playing Pamela Anderson. Um, and uh, also there's um, John Hamm in there looking like he needs a good wash, uh, which is quite a different, <laughs> different John thing. John Hamm not looking like Don Draper. No, no. You know, you know, no. looked, looked is it damn sharp as Don Draper and does not look damn sharp in this. Uh, and, and Jamie Foxx in there as well. He's a bit well. of a scummy looking guy in this one, isn't he? Yeah, and Jamie Foxx is really fantastic in this as well. Yeah, and of course, one of your favourites, John Bernthal. John Bernthal, the Punisher himself, makes a bit of an appearance in this one. Yeah. It's, uh, it is, uh, it's... They, 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 they play this sort of, um, I think, that because of the, the pacing of the film, we don't spend too much time, but they play this sort of... Um, Again, sort of tying back to Bullet Train, you've got this very eclectic mix of uh, different versions of scumbags who all have this sort of backstory that is going on, and it's maybe touched upon a bit. But they all, um, there's a lot of character going on in the, in the little bit of time. 
Yeah. Also, yeah. in a tie to point break, it's got the, the funniest uh, mask shopping scene ever. <laughs> the, the, the complaints about the Michael, they try and get a Michael Myers mask, but they end up with a Mike Myers one. <laughs> Excellent. As a little kind of Wayne's World joke, never mind. Uh, okay, so uh, anyway, where, yeah. Uh, so ba- Baby Driver is Max's choice for Thursday, uh, the 25th of August, 9 p.m. on Great Movies. That concludes another edition of the Film Guide. Max, uh, which of those movies that are on TV would you say is your movie of the week? It's been another tough one, but this time I'm going to go for Point Break. That's going to be my film of the week. Okay, uh, Point Break is the film of the week. To see the uh, films that Max has recommended for us to watch on TV, just look in the podcast notes right now. You'll see a list of those films along with the channels they're on, the times and the dates and all of that nonsense. Uh, so, Max, thank you for that. Uh, and uh, Max will be back uh, around about the same time next month. Next week on the Film Guide, it's the turn of producer Sam, uh, uh, ably assisted, of course, by friend of the show, Chris. Uh, so uh, we look forward to hearing from them. But uh, in the meantime, Max, say goodbye. Goodbye.